Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Welcome back, everyone, to The Few in Lockdown. I guess the upside of everyone being in lockdown is pretty easy to get hold of uh, podcast guests, and I get to stay home and work uh, out of The Few podcast uh, sneaky studio up in the bush behind my house. Today's guest, uh, he works in a mysterious world that we often see uh, on TV. Before we do that, though... My co-host and all-round legend and someone who's not in lockdown right now, Sean Shawnee Sue. G'day, Sean. How are you, mate? Really good, Boo. And uh, yeah, feeling for everyone in the areas of uh, Australia and elsewhere that are locked down, but uh, up here in sunny Queensland, thankfully, uh, we've dodged a bullet a little bit a couple of times. So uh, we're, not, we're not in lockdown at the moment. It's just masks. I uh, can't really complain about that. So it's doing pretty well. But I'm excited for today's guest, having come from a bit of a financial background myself. Yeah, looking forward to getting stuck in. I certainly am as well. I don't think I've ever been successful in financial markets. It just reinforces that lesson that you shouldn't really invest and play and do things where you've got no idea what's going on. So let's talk to someone that does know what's going on. Our guest is he started his own hedge fund, which is pretty cool, pretty epic. If you watch uh, the telly or uh, billionaires, you see that uh, hedge fund's pretty exciting, yeah. volatile part of the world. Today's guest is, is just not that personality. I've known him since school, actually, and uh, a real cool cat. So with no further ado, uh, let's welcome him, Ben McGarry. Uh, Benny Boy, welcome, thanks, Baron. mate. Thank you, Boo and Sean. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, well, that's uh, obviously uh, you've got a lot of background there, Boo, but one of the first questions I'd love to ask is if you were, say, in an elevator and someone asked you, so what is a hedge fund? How would you answer that question? Yeah, well, I had to describe it to my kids and um, trying to get it to that elevator pitch was, you know, people trust me with their money to look after it. And my job is to give them back more than they gave me when they want it back. And that, that's the simplest way to do it. And the way we try to do it is find great companies with tailwinds that generate a lot of cash and then balance out a portfolio with other companies that are facing challenges. And if you can take that medium to longer term view, it's worked out well so far and fingers crossed it, it, it should continue to work out. So that's what I do in a nutshell. I presume you explain that with Lego blocks, mate, obviously. Like this is a <laughs> this is this brick here of six, that's six million and this eight brick is eight and we put all these bricks together to create more bricks. Yeah, I mean, look, sometimes the kids come through with insights that, you know, are so obvious that you should have thought of them yourself. Um, for example, uh, Dad, why didn't you just buy Bitcoin? It was so obvious. Just buy a little bit of everything new and uh, one, or, one or two of them are going to sail over the boundary and, and off you go. And when, it, when you put it that way, um, it does sound easy, but it's, it's not quite, quite that easy. So obviously you started this yourself, mate. So what was the trigger? What made you decide to back yourself and start your own business on the few we often talk to people that have started something that's never existed before they had that concept so what was it yeah i mean in hindsight it probably was the the riskiest thing i've done and um maybe a little bit out of character but there's no one single reason to do it it was a combination of things you know my 
dad was in small business, was his own boss for many years. I was also a little bit of a um, an independent thinker and perhaps not as good at taking instruction as some people. My, my wife would agree to that. So, you know, potentially self-employment was the right place for me long-term anyway. And I, I had an idea and some, you know, reasonable success early in my career identifying some businesses with challenges and also some really great businesses that compounded away. So I was able to put a little bit of capital away and, and have that nest egg to give something a go. And I went around to a bunch of more established investment funds and, and businesses and said, look, I've got this idea for this fund that's going to own great companies and short companies facing challenges. And I think this will work out well and offer clients something that they can't do for themselves. And you know, what do you think? And a lot of them thought it was a reasonable idea, but the product or the timing didn't suit their individual businesses. So, you know, I was lucky enough to get some advice from some of these guys that were, were very successful in their own businesses. Um, the one that springs to mind is David Paradise, who said to me very early on, if you really think this thing's going to work, you should back yourself and, and do it yourself. You don't need a big brother. I suppose that made the going pretty tough to start with, but at times that's been a blessing and I'm very lucky to have you know, a business that's been going for almost 10 years, no external shareholders. And yeah, so far, so good. What is it about the, I suppose, the financial market that uh, that interests you, that keeps you after 10 years of doing it? And I believe you've got a background in accounting and things like that as well. So what is it about numbers, finance, you know, the financial markets? What's the driver behind that for you? For someone who, I suppose, as a kid, Boo might remember, I, I loved reading, a bit of a bookworm. Not necessarily great at any one particular topic, but had a broad interest in a number of topics. And, um, you know, finance is a fascinating industry, especially on the funds management side, where you get to learn about businesses in all sorts of different industries, different parts of the world. You know, there's a fair bit of human nature and psychology that comes into investing. There's an art component to it as well as just a science component. So I think if you are in the right place and have the right mandate and client base, it can be one of the most interesting jobs you know, out there in the world. And your good days can be good, your bad days can be wobbly, but you don't have anyone's life in your hands. You have a lot of responsibility, but uh, at the end of the day, it's money and I find it interesting and it, and it helps through all aspects of life understanding what makes a good investment works in the share market. It works when you're buying a home. It works when you're selling a used car. You know, there's not quite as good as being a chippy, but pretty good. You mentioned there the art and science. And and for me, that's a really fascinating area to work in, in any organization, because people have ideas, they've got big dreams and strategies they want to get done, but really you're projecting into the future. So it's an unknown. So how do you find transitioning or finding the balance between science and art when you're making decisions? Actually, the longer I've been doing this, the more important I think that art component is to it. There's a lot of you know, 25, 26-year-olds that are, are far better on a spreadsheet than I am and can come up with a more accurate forecast, a more detailed model. But I, I, over time, that sort of reliance on accuracy can be a you know a hindrance in in financial markets because there's there's animal spirits in you know human nature there's there's fear and greed and being mature enough or or um, being able to recognise that there's times when you've got to get out of the way you might be right but if you're right at the wrong time you're still wrong you know I think that's something that comes with experience and you know that's something that I've had to focus on a little more in in recent years because we've got into 
you know, more and more interesting markets as my career's gone on. So just to add to that, Ben, I mean, assuming when you say it's more of an art, are you referring to that kind of gut feeling or instinct to go with something, you know, when you're not as focused on the detail or the spreadsheet or number as much, but you've got a feel for what's happening? Well, I'm thinking about, you know, more in the last 12 months in a post-COVID environment where people were stuck at home, you know, as people are bored, they're looking for thing activities online. And we had a, a period of time last year where, you know, sport was shut down in, in most of the world. People didn't have that activity to go to on the weekend. They didn't have that gambling outlet. And the stock market became a, um, a conduit for people's entertainment. You know, we've had the rise of meme stocks and short squeezes and crypto and um, things that, you know, at the beginning of my career, nobody had heard of. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time where as a fundamental investor, we had to sort of put ourselves in the shoes of a, a kid in their, in their mom's basement trading, um, you know, story stocks and with options that there was creating huge volatility in equity markets and, and some really experienced hedge fund investors around the world got caught out by that environment. So you had to put numbers aside for a period to survive and protect capital. So do you feel that that has gone back to some semblance of, of normality for want of a better term? I think we're slowly getting back there. We're still in a, a weird situation where markets and asset prices are, are heavily supported by cheap money from central banks. Governments are also throwing money at people and businesses. We're, we're in an unusual situation historically. But yeah, it's, it's a more normal year. Everyone I speak to who's in financial markets, in banking, wherever, no one's seen this before. And I'm talking about people who are in their 70s and 80s who have made a career out of investing and they just raise their eyebrows and shrug their shoulders and they're like, no idea. Is there some rhythm or destination here or are we just in free fall? Let's just see what happens. That's a great question. Um, you know, I get that from my clients all the time. And, you know, if you leave the party too early, you could be out of business because it could, your market could be 30 or 40% higher before things correct. All I can say is that it's a, it's a new paradigm of experimentation where governments have said, we're not going to let businesses fail. We're not going to let companies fire people. You know, we'll do whatever it takes. People don't have to pay their home loans back. People don't have to pay their rent. You know, these are ripping up contract law principles that have been in place in our society for, for hundreds of years. So, look, I, I don't know when the party's going to end, but typically there's a gravitational pull for asset prices and it's the return you can get on those assets over time. So, yeah, I, I think you could party on for now, but maybe a little closer to the exits. Just have one eye on the door would be my advice. Can you break it down for, you know, Sean and myself who tend to have the comprehension of a seven-year-old when it comes to the few? We hear about short selling in the market and the big short. This new concept where traditionally um, most people know that you buy a stock, it grows, and in 10 years' time you've made a bit of money on the way through with your dividends and the assets appreciated and you cash out. Then short selling came around. So tell us a bit about hedge funds, why sometimes they get a bad rep and why they are valuable. Yeah, look, um, there's all sorts of different hedge funds. There's equity hedge funds, which are invest in listed shares. There's hedge funds that invest just in options or in a particular market. There's debt 
versions of hedge funds. What we run is an equity long short fund where we buy shares just like your mum and dad would buy Telstra or, or Macquarie Bank. We try to buy you know the best companies we can find in our long book. And then what we're trying to offer clients is a different return profile. So something that might zig when other parts of their portfolio zags. And how we do that is by trying to balance that portfolio out with companies that are facing challenges. And we've got a, a bunch of things we look for that you know help us sort of zero in on parts of the market that look interesting. It might be might be where you see the whole management team, you know, dump their shares unexpectedly, or we dig into the weeds of accounting and look for aggressive accounting red flags. I mean, this really was your niche, wasn't it? This was the thing that that you discovered when you were working in the system, right? You were you were tracking ABC childcare, and and you actually observe some activity there that no one else was seeing, right? And and this started to create your reputation. So tell us a bit about that story because without yeah. without that insight, without doing the hard yards and being good at what you do, you would have never been able to start your own hedge fund, right? Yeah, that's true. You've got to find something that, that the big institutions find a bit harder to do. And um, every once in a while, you'll come across a special situation like ABC Learning where the market had fallen in love with a story and a founder that's got a lot of charisma and share prices get carried away. And when you do some digging beneath the surface and you, you start finding things that don't add up, and we, we found a bunch of things you know, with that company that, that gave us pause. And I was an analyst back at UBS doing sell-side research for, for clients you know, like we are now. And ABC Learning was just a, a fascinating one where their debt was always higher than it should have been every time they reported. They told a, a story about a, you know, a capital-like business model where returns were always going to go up. But when you actually looked at their financial statements and modeled it out, the returns were always going down. It turned out that my skepticism around the stock was right. I got hired from UBS into a a big fund manager called Osbill Dexia on the balance of that, on the back of that work. And the business went broke about a year later. Um, So that just sort of opened my eyes that there's an opportunity to look at those challenging or those companies that are are challenged or where the market, where you've got a very different view to what the market has. And that could be something that's different and valuable to clients because our clients tend to have, I mean, people that are successful enough to have money to invest. They're usually long things like shares, managed funds, property. And if we can deliver them a positive return when in periods of volatility, when other parts of their portfolio are going down, that's, that's valuable. And you know, the, I suppose the icing on the cake is that if they can hang on to it for long enough, we can actually make them decent money as well, or, or historically we have. So I think that gets your question there, Boo. No, absolutely. Well, that's, that's, it just underpins that element of the few where you don't end up in these situations by magic. You do the hard yards. You're smart. If your lucky day comes, you double down on it and you create an environment that allows you to be you know, very successful. The key there, Boo, was like, you know, funds management's a really established industry. So you've got to find something that is valuable to your clients or a subset or a niche. So something that they find difficult to do themselves. And that that for us was that downside capture when markets get volatile. So even if it don't, I think it's the same, whether it's a coffee shop or a, you know, any any business, you need a point of difference for people to even bother spending the time. So far, we've we've done relatively well out of that type of investing and yeah it's getting tougher because there's more people looking at it so how do you deal with a bad day ben like what happens when the market doesn't go your way in a big way boo it can be a a bad 
month or about quarter, and we've had two down years as well, and that that that's a challenge. So, I mean, I used to think about it really simplistically about just controlling the controllables. So, you know, healthy habits, win the morning, win the day. If you turn up, you've had a swim, you've exercised, you've eaten well, the market can tell you up. But at least when you go to bed that night, you know, you've done something positive and, and you, build, you build from there. I mean, recently, as I've sort of cruised past middle age, I've started thinking about it more in terms of mindset and, and looking at setbacks as, as looking for the opportunity in the setback rather than sitting there and thinking, well, you know, woe is me. Guys, and it's same, that same thing that we often see, Boo, that, that trend of the people that we get on the few who do represent the few that are actually doing something that they enjoy, they've created success, they've got you know, choice and all that sort of stuff is about having the view that these challenges or potential failures are actually an opportunity for learn. There's always, to learn. There's always, a, there's always a, uh, a silver lining. But also that concept of having routines to ensure that you're your mental state, your emotional state is strong so that you're much more resilient when you go into those sorts of things. So what's on the horizon for you over the next, you know, five years or so? You got any particular goals, things you want to achieve or maybe a little bit more about yourself more so than the business, you know? Pretty privileged to have, you know, a happy marriage and three healthy kids and being able to recognise that work-life balance is just as important to give you that resilience to make good decisions when things get difficult has made me realize that, you know, I suppose most people are forced to tackle life as pursuing wealth, health, and happiness. And as I've got older, someone pointed out the better way to do it is pursue happiness, health, and wealth. And the second two are often an outcome of the first two. So, yeah, look, I'm, I'm very lucky. The business is in good shape. I'm working with, you know, some super smart, young, hungry people in our business. You know, I want to support them in their growth as investors. We've already had a, a spin out of a little long only fund that we had here at Totus last quarter. It's so we've had our first Totus Cub, I suppose, from Sam Granger, my old co PM, and I'm thrilled. You know, with his success early on in that in that fund. You know, I remain an investor with Sam, and you know, being able to take someone through from a graduate position to starting their own business is a, a nice thing to do, and. And it's given me, you know, a lot of pleasure and, and I hope to, to follow and enjoy Sam's success for many years. And I think there's an opportunity for the other people in our business to come through and, and do, you know, similar things over time. So, look, um, you've got a young family. I, I love investing. I love, you know, the structure and the discipline of it. So, you know, with a three-year-old at home, there's no thought of retiring or sitting around watching TV for many years to come. So, yeah, I think you've got to find the joy in the journey and enjoy getting a little bit better each day. You can't contextualize things as age and old. I think you have to contextualize it in terms of wisdom. You're gaining wisdom as you go. There's no point in letting go of, of your youth or letting go of your, your vigor. I think we're unique, our generation, and it will be more unique as other generations come through where we sort of, we sort of get an extra 20 years over our parents in terms of just, just because we've got healthier food, we've got a healthier lifestyle. We understand well-being more. Yeah, we, so we've got all these extra years. And I was just reflecting the other day, you know, sometimes my mojo drops down and it's like I did so much purposeful stuff at the age of 40. It's like, geez, what do you, what do you do now? 
and you're like, I've got another 10, 20 years to to churn out with energy here. And I think that's really exciting and it, it, it kind of reinvigorates you that you have got time and you have got energy to reinvest. Now, Ben, one of the things we talk about are the SLJs, the shitty little jobs, and we spoke about the art. Let's have a little bit of, a, bit of a look at the science here because magic, whilst it happens if you're ready for it, it only happens if you've done the legwork, right? So how important is the detail, the research and the grind of, of your business? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's almost just the ticket to the dance. Without it, you're not going to get anywhere. And um, I suppose over time, there's, there's sort of three parts to a funds management business. There's research, there's operations, and there's distribution. And you can't really succeed without all three of those working together. And I have found at times that a lack of focus in one of those areas you know, does tend to come back and bite you. So you have to try, regardless of how much you, you don't enjoy it, you do have to force yourself to focus on some of the stuff that you're not good at as a business owner. Look, I, I just think of it as, yeah, self-discipline and structure and trying to create those routines. I love the quote from Mike Tyson. He said, you got to do the things you hate sometimes and you've got to do it. So uh, they're the tough jobs. So just take them on head on. And there has been periods where I've avoided those things that I don't find as interesting and, and it's always come back to bite me. So you're better off, you know, eating your greens first. I think it's that, it's that thing of consistency. If you do not apply consistent focus or for a, a car reference, if you take your foot off the accelerator, the car's going to start to slow down. You know, you could be distracted for a while and then you turn back and the car's gone from 80 to 40 and you've got to put the effort in to get it back up to 80 again so that it's much easier to hold it there than it is to come back from that. You know, I've definitely found that uh, last year with some other things that went on that pulled me a little bit out of my business. I'm now seeing some of the consequences of not having that focus. But now since that focus has come back again, I'm now seeing it you know, go back the other way. There's actually something you said before that I wanted to to touch on, which I thought was quite surprising. And well, not surprising so, so much for, for the few, but something that we've seen quite often, you, you said one of your team that you, you know, brought up through the ranks as a grad and all sort of stuff is now effectively started a business in competition with you, but it sounds like you're incredibly supportive of that. Where does that come from, that ability to support someone who, who can effectively help the competition to set up and go? You know, our industry, it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game, so someone doesn't have to lose for you to win. It's natural, in particularly these days, for smart young people in particular to want to back themselves. And, you know, I was in that position at a similar age to, to Sam, and there's two ways to look at it. You create problems or you look for solutions, and the solution of a spin-out was first and foremost the least disruptive for our client base in the high conviction, long only strategy. But but it was a, a great way that, you know, I could stay in touch and leverage the training and that relationship with Sam over the long term. And uh, he's repaying that in spades through his hard work and our investment in, in his business. So you can go around life picking fights with people or you can, you know, look at ways to work together and that that was a that was a good one that so far so good have you had experiences where you felt you've been let down by other people where you've invested time and trust and it hasn't been reciprocated or have you had a fairly gentle journey with that sort of thing no we we've, we've all made i've made mistakes hiring mistakes but i i think you've got to take ownership of you know whose fault is that is that the person you've hired or is that your due diligence and uh i'm probably not as quick to to move on as some in the industry and maybe that's been to my 
detriment, but there's been a ton of mistakes along the way. It's not a wildly successful funds management business by any means, but uh, I'm really happy with what, how we've got here because there's been a lot of you know, school of hard knocks and learning the hard way over the last 10 years. What are some of the key lessons you've taken away over the last 10 years? What are the key things that really helped, allowed you to level up, those things you had to overcome, those challenges that really made you stronger on the other side? What, what's a couple of examples of those? And did you have a day where you nearly threw in the towel? Oof. Um, I haven't got to the day where I've nearly thrown in the towel, but I, you know, I've occasionally looked at bus drivers and gone, wow, and that, that might not be the worst job. But yeah, I think it's just persistence. You just got to keep plugging along. And as the great thing about, you know, getting to 10 years is that you realize we've had instances where I thought that month was a disaster. How do we recover? How does this year turn out to look all right? How could we have done that? Or how could we have done better? And, and things turn, you know, extremely quickly. And usually you learn something out of those experiences. So I, I think the, the key thing is persistence and turning up. And, and realizing that not just in the bad times that things things will get better, but also that humility in the in the good times. You know that there is an elastic band in markets, and that occasionally the market, you know, everything that you're doing is agrees with the market agrees with, and that can turn very quickly. So you might do nothing wrong in your analysis, and something comes out of left field like a a pandemic or a, a change of Fed chairman or government and um, you can have a tough six months. So being able to recognize that that's part of the deal, that it's part of the journey and that makes the good times you know, much more valuable when you finally get there. Yeah, I've got this philosophy where I reckon I use the metaphor of uh, free climbing. You know, when people rock climb, they're not tied to the rock face that they access this reserve that you don't normally tap into. And I think what you're talking about there, when you feel like something's happened beyond your control, you put all this effort in and it didn't pan out. There's something about being on the edge of that cliff without a rope that seems to empower your neural pathways and synapses start firing and you, you see things that you've never seen before. Have you experienced a, that type of scenario? Yeah, well, Boo, I think, you know, we talked about it a while back offline but yeah early days in my business I had a, a marriage breakup and was living on a mate's couch for for a period there but it did happen at a at a tricky time in you know my career the business was loss making we had no real you know runs on the board the business was very young you know it's stressful when you leave a high paying job to to go into a business to choose cash it's difficult for families to adjust but it turned out to be, you know, one of the, the better periods of performance for our business. And really, you know, when the, your back is to the wall and there's, the pressure is on, you know, we've tended to perform quite well. You know, we saw it earlier this year, you know, we had that period where markets sort of, you know, the punters or the retail investors really started to make the professional investors look silly over the second half of um, 2020. And, you know, we had clients that question you know, our process and, you know, our strategy over the medium term. And, and we've just had three or four of the better months we've had in five or six years. So, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. I'm actually over time getting more nervous when things go too well, just looking around the corner for there's got to be a speed bump here somewhere. I've got to try and treat those as learning experiences and opportunities and that, you know, life goes on. And speaking of returns, mate, you, you've been double-digit returning now for you know quite some time, really solid last 
four or five years. I mean, you're outperforming market. It must give you a nice sense of achievement and purpose. There's, there's something, I mean, in finance sectors, there's a lot of individuals go into it, enrich themselves. But I get a sense for you, it's about enriching others. It's it's about the collective win. And it must feel good when you're able to speak to investors and, and have created wealth for them in, in a relatively passive way for them. Yeah, I think it's better to make money, you know, for everybody. A lot of my clients are retirees that can't make the money back. So there's a big responsibility around preserving that capital over time. I was relatively confident with my investing skills prior to setting up the business. I'd I'd managed to put enough money away to give it a go. And my track record of looking after assets prior to launching the business was was solid. But throw in starting a small business you know, complexities like human resources, compliance, you know, the, the bar keeps getting raised. In terms it's a lot of, more than, um, than just your skill. And I think people that start their own business don't realize that. You might be really proficient at something and work in a corporate environment really well, but you, it's like a 3X factor of extra work you have to do to run a business, pay the phone bills, just real, really basic admin stuff, isn't it? And is that people yeah. don't know what they don't know. You know, when you start out, you don't know there's all this extra stuff. And then you're like, when you find it out, it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah, and you look at your bank balance at the end of the month and it's like, holy shit, where did that 10 grand go? That was not what I was expecting to see at the end of the month. So true, Boo. I mean, when you think about, yeah, is there a time when I thought, geez, I should throw it in? It was the first year we had our financial services license audit from ASIC, which you have to do as a, as a license holder. And there was no one else to prepare the audit stuff. It was me on a Friday night, you know, over in sort of shared office space in, in Mossman, cruising home at 10 o'clock in the rain on a Vespa. I was like, you know, this is character building. And it turned out it, it was, you know, honestly, that's uh, in hindsight, one of the best things that could happen. That's raw living, you know, and I think a lot of people that become successful and like I always found the transition from founding and growing a business into running it really hard because it just felt uh, maybe it's just that adrenaline junkie type of mindset but it's it's hard to do so it's it's fascinating again going from being very comfortable obviously and well paid in what you were doing working in the institutional world down into creating something from from nothing which is a really cool and recurring story in the few it takes a lot of courage to do as well. And uh, obviously in your journey, you've clearly learnt quite a lot of stuff. If you were to go back to a younger version of yourself and pass one key piece or a couple of key pieces of learning to yourself, what would they actually be? I would encourage young people to just think long-term. Bezos talks about, you know, you overestimate what you can achieve in two or three years, but you underestimate what you can achieve in seven to 10 years. So that longer term thinking and keeping things in perspective, you know, obviously, I just think integrity is key to everything in business and, and life. And, you know, the people that I've worked with who, you know, who haven't had integrity, it hasn't worked out for them in the long run. So whilst they might have won some battles in the short term, the scoreboard in the long term goes against you if you don't have integrity. So that daily self-discipline, just try to be a slightly better version of yourself each day, whether it's, you know, the, the run around the block on Strava once a week, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, just try to do it a little better. 
and don't be afraid to be out of your comfort zone. I mean, that's what I'm learning and, and trying to put myself through in this middle life period is uh, get a bit more comfortable being uncomfortable. I reckon that happens as you get older. I, I find myself now struggling more with what the whole point of everything is than you ever had before because you're so focused and charging and, and then you get to a point which is like you've worked from the bottom of the, the shelf behind the bar to the top. You've got great connections, great for everything's like good. I don't know. There's like a, there shouldn't be discomfort there, but there is. It's a, it's a really weird feeling. Yeah, I've, I've done that once or twice and looked around people in my you know, office when I worked at UBS, looked at the managing directors and said, is that what I really want to do? Is that where I want to be in 10 years? And I, I've, I've been lucky enough to look around successful fund managers and, and had good relationships with a few. And you've really got to pick the, the model that works for you best in the long term and occasionally check yourself and say, is this journey that I'm on the right one or am I just on the mouse wheel where there's no end? I think, Ben, often it's actually not our path. We sometimes, especially uh, when we're younger, take on board other people's opinions or perspectives and, and go down a path that they suggest. And I think one of the things we see with the few is that it's actually about getting off that track and going, okay, what is the track I actually want to be on? Did I really want to be on that? Well, I thought I wanted to be on it because everyone said it was going to be good and I was great at that and you know, I had a capability. I was actually did it well, but do I actually love it? Do I actually love what I'm doing? Or is it gradually eating me alive because I'm not actually doing something like you've done is having the courage to go from high-level corporate roles literally straight out into the bloody wilderness on your own with a with a hatchet and a bottle of water you know and you've got to kind of start from scratch and you know that's that's such a you know powerful representation of the determination and grit it takes for people to go from that point and 10 years later you know be running a successful business have built a successful life you know marriage family all that sort of stuff that goes with it that really does truly represent the few and why we have uh, you know we've, we've invited you know, i'll ask you to come onto the podcast today so yeah thank you and there's a great quote from bezos the um when I'm 80, will I look back on this decision and which one will I regret? Will I regret doing it or will I regret not doing it? And I think that's just a, a great model for making decisions that are major in your life. And that wraps up another episode of The Few. Thank you to our partners, Afterburner, for team building, development and alignment. We understand now how important it is to have the right people around you. Get them on board with where you want to go. Momentum Media, the largest industry publisher in the country, connecting your business to the Australian community. ICMI, Australia's premier speaker bureau, representing the few that do fulfill their life's purpose. And finally, Sean's Inner Circle, the business coaching organization for small and medium enterprises looking to make that next step. Thanks again for listening in and downloading today. Please leave a review on whatever platform you are currently listening to this podcast and reach out to our partners who can help you make the transition to the few. Oh, that's awesome, mate. Great, great segue. Look, we better go. I think Sean's got to get back to his nude survivor with his uh, bottle of water, his hatchet. Get it raw, mate, don't you think? <laughs> well, it's still warm and sunny up here and I can go outside, so yeah, why not? Awesome. Ben, thanks. Uh, so much for being generous with your time today, mate, and sharing your story with the few. I know that if anyone's out there and you're wondering what to do with those uh, shekels in the bottom of your pocket, that loose change, Ben, I'd love if you uh, reached out and touched base with uh, Titus Capital, who um, is his, his baby, and he's done an awesome job. It's really great to have the opportunity to speak to you today. Thanks for coming on, Ben. 
Thank you both, Boo and Sean. This has been The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of the few. We'll see you next week.